and welcome to episode 56 of the UC Architects, the world's most popular exchange, Office 365, and Skype for Business podcast. Today's episode was recorded on Saturday, the 30th of January, 2016. I'm your host, Pat Richard, and today I am joined by uh, the lovely John Cook Yay. and uh, a former colleague of mine, Tom, Tom Arbuthnot. So, guys, welcome. It's nice to uh, finally speak with you. Yeah, right. It's a little break. Like a freaking year for me. <laughs> Give <Yeah. a> <laughs> It's been a little. Seems like it anyway. Yeah, yeah. So we're back and uh, and better than ever. So uh, we'll jump right in. So uh, top stories: Cloud PBX uh, was uh, launched in December. So Tom, tell us what is Cloud PBX and why do we need it? Yeah, so Cloud PBX is quite a big deal actually. For, for forever up until now, uh, Skype Business Online or Link Online as it was has been behind server. So you could do your all your VoIP stuff, you could do conference dial-in, but you couldn't do what we would call enterprise voice in the cloud to have a proper PSTN number. And Cloud PBX is the new feature for Skype for Business Online that changes all that. So now you can legitimately have an IP phone and a PSTN phone number sign into Office 365, Skype for Business Online specifically and be your primary phone number as well as your conferencing and IM and presence and video and all the other stuff that Skype Business does. So it's all gone on-prem into the cloud. Yeah, that's no it. More, no, more, no, no, more. no one needs any more on-prem stuff. Is what yeah. you're saying. It's the chime of doom. <laughs> yeah, it's all over. It's all over. No, are you going to be on uh, Runaz talking about that? Yeah, yeah, actually, yeah. I was talking with Richard um, last week on it. Uh, so we did a whole Runhouse Radio podcast on it. It should be out probably by the time this podcast launches, but next week from where we are now. Um, yeah, and it's, it's it's a complicated topic because um, the obvious jump is, what if you can do it all in the cloud? Why would you do it on server? Um, but there are feature differences between the cloud and server, as you might expect. Um, server is still more feature-rich. Um, and there's differences depending where you are geographically. So obviously... The US being Microsoft's favorite, um, you guys can have a PSDN phone numbers direct from Microsoft. So Microsoft are actually a proper legit carrier now. Um, you sign into your tenant, pick a phone number, pay Microsoft for the minutes, and, and away you go. Have you, um, do you have any? Have you had a call into the service center to like you know get numbers ported or anything like that yet? No, no, I haven't had any porting. Yet. No, I haven't either. I just don't know what this. I, would, I wondered what experience is like. Yeah, and for every. For, for, Yes. Yeah, so, so if you're porting small batches, you do it on the web. You just do it um, through a portal yeah. on, on the web. If you're doing big batches, you can port them into Microsoft. With you well, and the M1, E9, E911 goes to the, kind of their, their call center first, right? To uh, right now. So I would like to just kind of understand what how that would be, you know? Because for anyone, just as an aside, anyone um, that goes to the the uh, Skype Business User Group um, that are hosted in the different cities, that that's this this, this current round. Um, they're covering that, and there's a really good deck uh, on that. So definitely check that out if, so, if you sign so up. So getting and, you know, back to it. getting back to the E901 comment, does that mean that Microsoft is functioning as like a, an intermediate gateway before the PSAP? Kind of. I mean, they're the calls are going to them, is my understanding. Okay. Yeah. So and, they, and then they call the you know both, you know appropriate authorities, I guess, or whatever. So you don't need something like 901 enable or anything like that then. No, no, they, well, they, I think they, they do it in, well, they do it themselves, so you don't need any third-party add-ons, because obviously you can't put third-party add-ons in the cloud anyway, um, but they're, they're doing whatever they need to do to meet the US legal regs for 
E911. So I, I don't understand really if they're the PSAP or if if them then the PSAP, but they're the first people you hit. They're their 911 team. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. I mean, and you know, you you're talking about it. It, 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 it's a brave new one. Also, and this kind of we didn't put this on the thing, but this also dovetails with this topic. Topic. Uh, Cushman Wakefield's a pretty large um, global. Um, a property management company that's based in Chicago, and they just had a blurb on uh, on uh, the the you know office blog that they're going forty five thousand people going all cloud uh, PBX, which is you know again sort of writing on the wall. We're talking about not just you know Clem's towing with fifty people. We're talking about a giant multinational that's going to go. And I'm, I'm sure you know it's going to take a while, and there's going to be some locales or sixty countries or whatever they have that there'll be a while before you know they're going to be able to actually truly put their you know users on on, you know, PBX with, you know, DIDs in that region. But, you know, it's a, it was a huge sort of, obviously it was by Microsoft trumpeting it. <laughs> it's a huge sort of uh, announcement. Like, here's a big company already going to Cloud PBX, yeah. Yeah, I did their uh, Link 2013 deployment. Um, oh, really? Yeah, yeah, well, the guy yeah. who... Um, who's their, their CTO, who, like, was in the article, actually worked for him at another company. <laughs> so... Yeah. And, and, and they were on BPAS, and so, yeah, he kind of, he kind of brought, I think he brought that with him. <laughs> Yeah, that was actually that was actually the last project I worked on before I left to go to uh, modality systems. But uh, so so what else? So uh, you mentioned that uh, you can port small batches of numbers. I remember seeing that in some demos, um, you know, previously. But uh, um, so from a feature parity standpoint, obviously there's there's no response groups right in the cloud. Yep. No. It's, it's, it's yeah. Not a data. But yeah. Not right now. Yeah. It's very knowledge worker first at the cloud at the moment. So. All the core stuff is there. So I've been running on Cloud PBX for about two months, my primary phone number, um, and then just looping out that conversation. So Microsoft are the carrier in the US, and they're planning on being a carrier in other countries around the world, but there's no public timelines around that. But in the rest of the world, you either need a server or a forthcoming set of VMs um, called Cloud Connector Edition. And what happens is those run on-prem and connect you to a local carrier. So here in the, in the UK, I have Pure IP as my carrier. Uh, that hooks into server. Um, and while some of my colleagues are running on server, I, I registrar into Cloud PBX on a US tenant. But if I make a PSDN call, that goes through my server and through Pure IP. Well, it's, uh, you know, that's the joke, too. I mean, it, it numbers, phone numbers now are so arbitrary as to where they actually are and getting the IDs that, you know, it, it doesn't matter. No longer matters anymore. <laughs> so it's like, you can call me with a three, you know, local Chicago 312 exchange from, from England, and I wouldn't, you know, it doesn't matter. I get, I get spam calls from these companies that are like, oh, you know, they're like my local, like, you know, down the street, you know, area code. And it's some guy in India. <laughs> it's, like, it, it's just so over with the phone numbers now in terms of locality. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I think, and for us living in this world, it definitely is. The interesting thing is, is how how attached people who don't live in our UC world are to their phone numbers, and, and that's that's the interesting thing. You can port them into Microsoft if you're in the US and wherever else they're a carrier. But this is quite a nice migration approach. So if you're, you know, you you love BT or Verizon or AT&T or whoever your favorite carrier is, you stick with those guys. You put the servers and the gateways in. And keep your PSTM with them, and then do your registrar, your meetings, your PSTM dial-in, all in the cloud. Is Cloud Connect like 100? It's not 100 percent released yet, is it? No. So, so, so the server, the server integration has been around since December when it GA'd. Um, but you need legit Skype server and, and a license for Skype server. The Cloud Connector Edition is still in preview. They extended the preview because they wanted to test it a bit more. Yeah. Um, scale. So we're expecting that imminently so um once that comes 
comes out, that'll be license free. And that'll give you a new way to run some on-prem VMs and connect in a, a local carrier. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it's, I, you were saying about knowledge worker, I, I, you know, it, to me, it's, yeah, I mean, I, you know, that sort of inevitability of things going to the cloud, I mean, this is a, certainly a harbinger of things to come, you know, I, and it makes sense for a lot of companies, like you're saying, like knowledge worker, um, you know, sure, your call center, quote, unquote, to have people who need response groups, I and mean, there's going to be functionality in the cloud, at least right now, that's not going to be there, but, you know, then fine, leave, you know, put keep those people on-prem, the hybrid scenario works great, you know. And then put your bulk people who just need a simple dial tone, right? Not not fancy features on on the cloud, you know. Yeah, and that's that's what me and Richard really got onto on that runner's radio. It's like, you know, Exchange. We all think it's kind of obvious. You put it there unless you've got specialist requirements. SharePoint. You want to put it there because it's you know not the funnest thing to manage on prem. But actually, <laughs> you know, tons of people have done tons of deep integration to SharePoint that can't run in the cloud yet. So there's reasons to put it on prem, and Skype, we're still at the beginning of that journey. So if you've never had Skype server, then Cloud PBX might be massive for you because you won't miss the things you can do on server. But if you've had server today and you rely on some of those server tweaks and integrations and, and extra features, then it's it's probably not there for some of your more advanced users. But, you know, IT contractors, like knowledge workers, sales guys that don't need, you know, boss admin or anything crazy that is a, it's a good fit for those yeah pchat i love pchat i think i'm the only one though <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> I see, well, good god on the, on the upcoming tests you think like everyone in the world uses pchat i took the betas and <laughs> it's like a million pchat questions like no why pchat <laughs> yeah. if you look at the value the current market value of uh, slack apparently people start, like uh, like chat rooms <laughs> yeah. yeah totally um well i'm the same thing i mean and that's we use yammer like religiously at, at event zero. So, I mean, I, and I, I, you know, I, again, I was like, what's it, what do I want this for? But now I see multiple companies that yeah. live and die by Yammer. So, you know, yeah, we do too. I, I was tweet bitching about the lack of an edit button and I got likes from pretty much all you, you event zero guys. So I, I can tell you <laughs> felt my pain. <laughs> Interesting. Well, you know, we knew it was inevitable that, um, that this was going to be moving to the cloud and, uh, um, I'm sad to to see some of that pop up for for those of you who make a living, um, you know, deploying Skype for business. But um, you know, I think there's going to be lots of um, opportunities for people to work on projects where you know they're migrating to the to the cloud or they're switching to you know a, a hybrid model. Um, of course, you know, with um, large meetings, you need to have a hi- hybrid uh, uh, infrastructure set up. So. Yeah, I mean, yeah, and and again, I mean the the I, you know, I guess from a you know from a work standpoint, you know, the, the terror of everything going online is that there's going to be there's you know and it's going to happen and you know there's going to be less and less on prem over time with Skype for business and um, that means less opportunities for people. I mean, it's you know sort of the opportunity, but on the same on the same time, there's all kinds of other skill sets that you know we haven't had to touch uh, from the Skype side that you would have from the Exchange and the Office side like Thursync and you know ADL and ADFS and all these different things that are going to have to be part of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it'll be, you know... So like, it's kind of exciting. Yeah, things, things will definitely... Our skill sets will expand and change, and, and, you know, all boats go up in a rising tide and all that. There's more to do. And so, you know, kind of that, that nicely brings us on to a, a bit of Event Zero news, doesn't it? Because there's new things Microsoft need to do in the cloud as well. And one of the gaps in the current Skype Business Online Cloud PBX scenario is, is really solid reporting and, and analytics, I think. 
So I'm guessing you guys have some news uh, to share on that front. <laughs> what? What's this news about Event Zero? <laughs> what, what are you talking about? Um, yeah, so uh, for if you uh, have been living under a rock, you may not know that uh, Event Zero sold some intellectual property and some management staff to uh, Microsoft. So contrary to what uh, Mary J. Foley uh, mentioned uh, and a whole bunch of other people. A whole bunch on, uh, of people. Good Twitter. Uh, <laughs> How many people do we have to correct? Like, no, it, no, it, we're not getting bought. Yeah, Microsoft did not <laughs> buy Event Zero as a, as a whole. So uh, just some of the intellectual property and, uh, um, and some of the staff. So, um, you know, we're not owned by, uh, by Microsoft. And, uh, um, you know, they'll take some of... Um, what we have in UC Commander, and uh, um, you know, I think you'll see a roadmap out in, in a few months, uh, probably mid-year or so. Um, but, you know, we still sell um, UC Commander. We still support it. Um, you can still buy it from any of our partners. Um, you know, noth- nothing changes in that aspect. So right. um, if you're looking for an on-prem uh, uh, solution, and, and by on-prem, I mean um, uh, an analytic solution for your on-prem deployment of Link Server or Skype for Business, then um, UC Commander is still uh, the go-to tool for that. So, Yeah, yeah, just, yeah so I mean, just, yeah, uh, but it's going, I mean, it's great, it's going to be great news, or it is great news for uh, what's going to come, because if you ever use it, I mean, it's a shameless plug, right, but if you ever use the UC Commander, you know, that kind of, some of that stuff is going to be up in the cloud at some point, some iteration, some way, somehow, we, I mean, we don't know what, you know, what it's going to look like yet, but um, that can only be another, you know, like, it's going to be another selling point for, for Skype business, you know, in the in the cloud, because you can actually get, you know, some really rich analytics type stuff, which today really there's not a lot of, so. Yeah, right, and we'll... So everybody wins. Everyone's a winner. You need that. You need that stuff in the cloud almost more than on-prem because you're trusting somebody else very far away to look after your voice and video. So you want that deep right. level of reporting for sure. Yeah, and some of some of the um, you know you don't have access into the same kind of data in the cloud as you do on-prem. Um, you know, uh, if you wanted to roll your own you know, analytics solution or something, it's, that's not really possible when you're, when you're in the cloud. So. Yeah. And, you know, and actually the irony too is in some ways, you know, we, if you come from exchange, there's something that like, you know, that, that link in OCS, even before it seemed more progressive than the way exchange side does. Sorry, exchange guys don't have a heart attack, but in other ways I think it's different, you know, like, so, with 365 and Exchange, it's because it's been it's so much more mature. There's tons of APIs and management APIs you can hook into remote PowerShell, all that stuff. There's a lot more stuff in order to, you know, even for a, a, a tenant with no on-prem anything to get at least some eyeballs on what's going on in their environment on 365. Right now, Skype Online has got like nothing. You know, there's like, there's a whole like you know ecosystem that needs to get built around that right now that really doesn't exist today. So, yeah. So, uh, so I, ideally, it's, it's kind of, what you want... seeing this kind of thing getting, getting born. Yeah. I, ideally, what you want to do then, Tom is you want to keep Skype for Business on-prem and use UC Commander. (laughs) (laughs) Or hybrid. Go hybrid action, and then, uh, yeah, you're good to go. Yeah, there you go. So, but we're looking forward to you know what the future holds. But um, you know, for people that um, had questions about um, UC Commander and you know where to get it, uh, you know, come contact us. Uh, we'll put you in touch with one of our partners, and uh, of which Tom works for one of them, and uh, uh, you know, we'll get you going. Plug edition. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, no, Modality is, is a great partner of ours, and uh, and we still have the 45 day trial, free trial. So. Um, 
I think, I, you know, you can be up and running in an hour. And I think uh, if you're looking for an analytics solution, you get a free trial, you're up and running in an hour. Where's the harm in, in doing that? So it's uh, almost a zero footprint uh, solution. So Yeah, exciting okay. news. It'll be good to see, uh, see how it goes in the cloud. Yes, yeah. It'd be interesting to hear what Microsoft's roadmap is uh, when they finally announce it. All right, so heading off into uh, Skype, more Skype topics, uh, wildcard certs and uh, Skype for Business and Link Server. So uh, um, people are starting to see this where you try to join a meeting and uh, you get an error that says content was blocked because it was not signed by a valid certi- uh, security yeah, certificate. That's Thomas uh, uh, po- I don't his last name. Poet, yeah. Yeah. Um, I have you seen this? Because I haven't seen it, and it's terrifying. Because I can't tell you how many places I deployed with a wildcard on the on the proxy. So I never um, deploy with a wildcard oh cert. Yeah. Well, but I mean, it, increasingly, tons of people want to put on the proxy because they're doing other stuff, you know. So it's uh, it's a lot. It's very commonplace. If it's a, I would say it's it's more commonplace. Um, then, then if it's a bug, they need to fix the bug rather no, than... John, John, you, you can't bring those exchange cowboy tactics into our Skype <laughs> business. <right? laughs> you know, well, people, everything. small companies will say, you know, the certificates are expensive and we don't want to buy more certificates. Yep. But, you Even know, companies. You know, the certificates are a couple hundred bucks for a reverse proxy certificate. You know, Not from, not from Verizon. Well, well... Yeah, we won't go I'm there. Very yeah. You know, if you went to if you went to Digicert, you'd get more respectable pricing. Yeah, and phenomenal, phenomenal service. You know, and that's you know a good plug for them. But um, you know, there's too many security concerns for me uh, using a wildcard cert. And um, but people are seeing this. Uh, if you use a wildcard cert, you can see this uh, uh, pop up when you join a meeting. Uh, content was blocked because it was not signed by a valid uh, security certificate. Um, and Microsoft does have a KB article out about it, 3114502. So we'll we'll definitely put a link out to uh, the KB article and to Thomas's um, uh, blog post about it. So something to keep in mind if you're getting ready to do a, a deployment of uh, Skype for Business. Yeah, it's, it's something to be, and again, like I said, I, I really am anxious, anxious to see how much People are seeing this for you know in the wild because um, uh, this is like I said pretty terrifying because <laughs> yeah, I know a lot of people if, have been doing it. You know, it, good point, John. If if you're out there and you're seeing this, um, you know, reach out to us. Um, you know, Twitter or Facebook or LinkedIn or anywhere. We're everywhere, so let us know. Yeah, and I actually did a. I, I started a. I used to have link support on Twitter. I have SFB support now. So again, if you are out there and you have any you know any question or something, you can hit instead of hitting us up individually, you can even try and hitting me hitting my my altered persona. <laughs> as as well as uh, as well as uh, at link tips and at Skype tips or Skype for B tips. Is that you? Yeah, that's me. I didn't know that. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, now the secret's out. Um, so next up uh, for you uh, hardcore uh, Skype and Link guys. It's the return of Nextop. Yay! Woo! <laughs> so, Tom, uh, tell us what is Nextop and why are we happy that it's back? <laughs> We're very happy that it's back. So ne- Nextop is uh, a Microsoft official blog around Skype for business. Um, it's super, super deep techy-techy stuff. So it got it got killed maybe is it 12 months ago maybe more maybe less um in yeah. various it seems longer than that yeah maybe it's longer than that in, you know marketing reshuffles or whatever 
But, uh, but even though they killed it, I mean, it, it would have been dormant for a long time before they actually pulled the plug. You know? Well, I think it was part of their whole convergence of all of their their content. They had Next Hop and uh, Dr. Rez and 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 all these different places for information, yeah. and they they really wanted to kind of consolidate that into one well, spot. Well, and if you look at the I'm looking at the site now, and if you look at the archives, like you know, so our number of articles in 2013, 91, 2012, 12, <laughs> 2014, 12, 2015, one. So it's been more. It's been almost like three years. Really, yeah. it's yeah. Kind of, time flies. And yeah. yeah. But yeah, it's it's, it's yeah. an outlet for deeply, deeply technical stuff. So I wrote way, way back in the day. Wrote a um, a blog post about decrypting TLS and and looking for Skype uh, Skype business packets in the clear and like so it's you know deep deep techie stuff but a, a Microsoft official blog for it um, and yeah it feels like the, the the Microsoft marketing team around Skype are doing a lot of good things at the moment so between Nextop coming back and the recent broadcast meetings they've been doing they're getting into some deep techie stuff in in the public domain which is good yeah well, I mean, sorry I, I was gonna say that you know. <laughs> You touched on one thing, uh, Tom. I don't think a lot of people caught it. Is uh, you wrote an article for Nexthop, and and that's I think one of the big draws for Nexthop is a, a, a fair amount of the content that shows up there is written by uh, MVPs and uh, and MCMs. You know, people who are out living in the real world and not necessarily just people from the product group. Right. So. Um, yeah, it's it's deeply technical. I mean, if you read a uh, a Jeff Shirts blog post, it's like that for every article. <laughs> the official benchmark <laughs> you know, Jeff, for technical, Jeff writes, right? <laughs> yeah, that, that's right. If you uh, uh, if you like that kind of technical level, then you'll love uh, Next Top. So if you have well, to for those out, of you that, that go back a long way too, I mean, you used to be like sort of this was the event, you know, this was the main sort of you know other than like you know community blogs. I mean, this was the main voice of of Link, you know, back in the day, and so. Uh, you know, it was like I don't know. It was, where it was like you know, kind of the the, the go to place, and, and then like when it went away, you're just. Yeah, I remember kind of being. I think we probably talked about it on the podcast, right? I mean, um, it just kind of bummed you out. It was sort of like you know, more more signs that change was happening, and, and that team was dismantled and and you know went their separate ways. And um, yeah, so uh, I, I'm stoked that it's back and looking forward to some great content. So um, we'll have a link to that uh, in the summary page. Next up, some bad news, uh, at least um, bad news uh, for me. Uh, the Polycom Roundtable 100, the RT100, has been killed off. Um, yeah, well, you know, and again, I think I was on, I, we were talking about this on Twitter. I, I, I was on vacation, I think, at the time when it was like early November. I, used to, I, I totally missed the news that it officially was kind of dead, and, and I was at the user group in Chicago, um, and they were talking about the new the trio devices in the real presence devices, and I and I asked Jeff Shirts like what what the, what happened to the one when's the one hundred coming out? He's like, yeah, it. Um, I, I think some of us found out about it late last year, but um, you know they're moving forward with uh, some other devices. But the the Roundtable one hundred was uh, looked to be a great kind of uh, entry level device for. Um, you know, conference rooms and things like that, smaller conference rooms, um, you know, uh, budget conference rooms, I, I guess I could say, um, instead of, you know, some larger scale uh, solution. So, um, but, you know, I, uh, bigger and better things coming from Polycom, and we uh, look forward to, to seeing what those are going to be. Yeah, I mean, it, it was a great idea. I think it was a great, great device. I think the price point was going to be tough for them to meet and make, and, and, you know, and even at the price point, I think they were saying like MSRP was around 1000 bucks. 
I mean, probably even, I mean, they're, they're, you know, this was going to be a huge scale kind of up. For people who don't realize, you know, it, uh, what the, the 1200 was, it was basically an Intel, like, NUC type, you know, like, a you know, small fan factor, four factor PC with a, uh, USB, uh, uh, webcam and, and, uh, like a Bluetooth, you know, audio puck. Um, and, you know, and it was a great idea, but the, the components themselves are probably in the five, six hundred hour range, right? Even at scale. So at the MSRP, I mean, no, there wasn't any money to be made, uh, I think is one of the reasons. Um, there was a lot of complexity issues because I actually was working for a customer who had it in beta for probably six months. So I'm pretty familiar with the, the product. And there was a lot of, there was a lot of problems in general with it in terms of, you know, like not so much the device itself, but where to put it, you know, like I said, pricing was going to be a problem. Um, management was one of the things that was cited, uh, like, you know, there was no way to essentially manage them. Um, so it's sad, though. I mean, I think it was a great idea, uh, but... Um, and, well, uh, obviously, we now <laughs> we now know that the Trio's about as well, which we didn't know at the time. So the Polycom Trio is uh, pretty impressive in terms of it's a, a Spider-type speakerphone, but it can do video as well. So it's not, not quite the same device, but a, a similar similar level in terms of pricing and huddle room type ability yeah you know we had uh we had invited uh, randy wintle uh from polycom to be on today and he woke up with the flu this morning so randy we'll have you back uh, uh real soon to talk about all things polycom yeah they're doing some killers up at the moment that would make a good topic for sure yeah yeah um you know including you know um some of their cloud offerings and uh and the RT100 and and all that stuff. So the trio. Um, all right, next up, um, developing uh, with Skype. So uh, Tom Morgan, who uh, works at Modality with uh, our own Tom, um, is a developer there, and uh, he wrote uh, Learn Skype Web SDK in 30 Days, and it's a, a free PDF available on um, the Office Gallery. Um, and Tom is a brilliant guy. I, uh, my hat is off to him. I worked with him uh, a lot when I was at Modality. Uh, very smart. He's written uh, a whole bunch of stuff on developing Skype for Business So, uh, and was recently awarded uh, a Microsoft MVP. So if you are uh, looking to get into uh, yeah development uh, in Skype for Business, um, uh, check out the Skype Web SDK in 30 days. On the gallery site, uh, the the title of the article should be though the uh, the, the you know Skype business development in thirty days unless you're John because there's no way in, even in a month that I can possibly learn how to dev anything so <laughs> <laughs> it's quite ambitious. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, it's it's not uh, uh, learn Skype web SDK for the complete moron for dummies. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> that would be me. Um, yeah, I, I would always have to tell Tom, hey, uh, slow down and use smaller words because I'm getting kind of lost here. But uh, he's he's very bright and uh, no doubt a great uh, resource for uh, learning how to develop. Uh, next up, uh, group call pickup and the dreadful CIFA util. God, I hate that utility. Have I mentioned that before? Um, so now there is an article on... Uh, a KB article on Microsoft site um, that now allows you to use PowerShell commandlets to configure group call pickup. Uh, previously, you had to use uh, CFAUtil, which uh, has its own set of troubles, and that list is quite lengthy. Um, but now there is, I believe, four new commandlets um, yes. all around setting uh, group pickup user orbits. 
um, and makes it a lot easier. I, people have been calling for this be- for a long time because if you wanted to use group call pickup, you had to stand up uh, an instance of CFUTA, which is a trusted application, which should not be run on a front end. And um, it's a command line utility that has uh, like no error reporting and a kind of really strange uh, uh, syntax. So it, um, it's kind of a little bit of black magic to get it to work right. So I think Microsoft did us a huge favor in uh, coming out with this, uh, um, these commandlets, and they were out in the November 2015 cumulative update. So um, kudos to Microsoft on that. Yeah, golf class all around. Uh, no, I'll give them more than a golf clap. I'll stand <laughs> on my desk and, and yell and cheer. Anything, any, any, anybody that calls me never have to use CP tool ever again is my hero, so I agree. Yeah, and and you know, sloppy kisses it, for everyone. <laughs> it's a uh, it's a good time to talk about uh, what we've seen from uh, Matt Landis with um, with CIFA Util, and uh, I, th- I think Tom, you were in the room when he did a demo when we were in Seattle, and uh, now the ability to do um, CIFA Util using some PowerShell, everything in CIFA Util using. Um, uh, either some PowerShell utilities or uh, PowerShell commandlets, I should say, uh, or being able to do them by sending commands to um, an IM bot. So um, great stuff coming out from Matt and his team, um, and look forward to uh, to some more stuff. So I gave yeah. him a challenge, and and he really stepped up to that. Yeah, that's really exciting. I think the title of his post was Cepha Util Done Right." So if you if you Google that, but I think that sums out really nicely. It's like everything Cepha Util does, but with proper Syntax and PowerShell and wrap. Well, that was the thing with Zephyr Util. I mean, and we've you know, we've we've talked about it probably about like you know if you look back at all the episodes, probably ten percent of the episodes we bitched and moaned about Zephyr Util over the years. But it, you know, a if you if you think about it, it we're still complaining about it because it's still there, right? And it's still got its limitations. And B, you have to use it for so much stuff, it's maddening. And C, yeah, you're saying like it's such a clunky, specific. I mean, there's case issues, you know, when you're typing the, the commands in. So it, it's like the nightmare tool. It just doesn't always just work and and for something that you absolutely need, especially with you know uh, environments that have a you know large deployment of uh, enterprise voice, uh, it, anything to make you never have to use that is a wonderful, well, and, wonderful thing. And not only that, it's a resource kit utility, and of course, resource kit utilities are unsupported utilities. Right. Um, uh, but you know, the big thing too was um, just the the dismal speed of CIFA Util. If you wanted to look up. Uh, information about a specific contact. Um, the average time is something like 14 seconds. And um, Matt's solution is uh, 100 milliseconds. So there's a huge change there. And, and of course, that, that time delay becomes more and more of an issue as in, in bigger and bigger environments. Um, so, you know, if you're trying to do like... Um, uh, set user uh, forwarding or set a user note or even change a user's presence, all that stuff, Matt has uh, a solution for that. So we'll, we'll certainly get the, uh, the link to that um, in the summary page. Yeah, good stuff. Uh, next up, uh, Skype consumer and Skype for business server audio test service bot for a cloud PBX user. Um, long, long, longest blog title ever, right? <laughs> <laughs> Just rolls off the tongue. Yeah, you know. <laughs> so uh, what kind of crazy guy came up with a title like that? Oh, some, some oh it's Tom. So, Tom, <laughs> tell us about this. What's it mean to us? Yeah, yeah. So, so um, obviously I've been using Cloud PBX for a couple of months now, and, and through the tap, 
Um, one of the missing features in Cloud PBX is the audio test service, bizarrely. Um, so you can't do the, the press and hold and do the audio test and have it record and play back to you, your, your voice. Um, and I do a lot of traveling. I have you know, a lot of calls out of Starbucks and whatever, and I used to really heavily rely on that before I jumped on a call just to make sure my connection was good. Um, <clears throat> so I had a hunch that because I'm in a hybrid environment, and the test bot on-prem is just a SIP URI, surely I can dial that SIP URI on-prem. Um, and surely enough, um, if you jump into the PowerShell, which is in the blog post, you can look up the on-prem server bot SIP URI, which is some insane GUID um, at yourdomain.com. If you grab that, stick it in your SIP client as a contact, you can then ring your on-prem bots and, and do your audio test, which was pretty fun. Um, but then I got thinking about hybrid and obviously we're hybrid to skype consumer and skype consumer has a test bot so i wondered if the skype consumer test bot was just globally addressable um and turns out it is so if you put in um the the skype directory skype search on your skype business client and put in the test bot which i think is echo one two three um you can hit the consumer bot so you don't need to do any crazy server lookups you can do it even if you're 100 percent cloud um and it goes through federation to the skype consumer bot where you can do the same type of audio test service yeah this i you know not to not to give you a shameless plug but that was really cool because again it is sort of a weird omission i use it and i want to test my headset um or whatever you know i, I use the the use the, the the test service like you know probably daily you know and uh I'm wondering sort of if, if mission, you should you know. have used it before this call because you keep dropping out. <laughs> yeah, I, don't, I think I don't know, my network. I think well, well, calls connect, go, well maybe it's our link environment. What connection are you on, John? You like it? It's like a web. Piece. I don't know. I'm getting red bars, and uh, maybe it's our link environment. I don't know. Uh, uh, it's working okay for me. I think it's the user. I'm going. I'm going across an ocean, and it's good for me. And I'm on ADSL. Um So you know, Tom, you mentioned um, uh, the long um, SIP address for the audio test service. Um, it brings me back to this little tidbit, if I can impart it on people. Do not go into ADSI Edit and change that address. Um, if you do, the audio test service will never start again. So I thought it would be good to change it to a more human-friendly SIP address so that you could test, um, uh, uh, use the audio test to a federated contact and and you know have an easy-to-remember name. And no, it got all kinds of ugly. So, uh, so don't do that. <laughs> Lesson learned. Yeah, interesting. I, I didn't think about. Yeah, knucklehead would even try something like that. <laughs> <laughs> all of us, clearly. Yeah. Um, so you can also, if you really like, it's it's kind of niche, but you can each each pool has a test bot pool or a test pool of test bots per pool. Um, Edit point, that's clearly makes no sense. Each pool has a test bot, so you can go into PowerShell and look them all up. So if you're responsible for Skype globally, you can add each test bot to your buddy list and hit those individual test bots to test your call quality from where you are to that bot. So not out of the box again, you're digging into the PowerShell, but it was interesting that I could do that. I could hit our Australian pool and our US pool as well as my, my London one. Yeah, the only the only thing with trying to add them all in is the display name is is the same for all of them. Yeah, you have to create a group essentially for each bot, yep. which is cumbersome, but interesting right. that you can do it. Yeah, cool. Well, thanks for that info. Um, and while we've got you, exchange <laughs> UM toll for, <laughs> exchange UM toll fraud risk. Uh, what's up with uh, your pin settings? 
Yeah, so this was really interesting. Um, we've seen this on a couple of customers, which is why I, I blogged it because I had a feeling it's probably going around. Um, so, like you know, back in the old school PBX days, toll fraud was a big thing, and people would dial in, and the pin would be one 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 one, and then they dial back out, and they'd get free phone calls. And I, I, I kind of feel like it's died down a lot now, just because everybody's got access to Skype and WhatsApp and whatever else. But, but clearly it's still about, and somebody has worked out that if you can dial into an Exchange UM mailbox and listen to voicemail, there's a, a DTMF tone to ring back the number that rang you. Um, so if you can get hold of somebody's voicemail pin, you can ring into their account, spoof the number you intend to call, which is pretty easy from dozens of SIP services. You can publish whatever number you want as your calling party number. Then you ring that voicemail account again, um, which would be a local number to you, presumably. Um, and then you can press the dial back button and it will ring the number you originally presented and bridge the call. So you pay the local rate to the exchange server and the company picks up the international mobile to Barbados or uh, wherever it is that you're choosing to call. Um, it, it's not a hack in the sense that you still have to get hold of the pin and it seems to be happening where people have either set weak pins, uh, change the policy to allow common pins or, you know, some people do things like set all their pins the same uh, for ease of use, which is clearly not a great idea. Um, yeah, or the, the example was like also a lot of people set the pin to their extension, right? So if you know their extension, you probably know their pin. You know, it's a good yeah, a good try anyway, right? Yeah, and, and it clearly hasn't been widespread from from talking to you know we've got a bunch of customer other support and all the other MVPs, but usually when these things become kind of public on the underground, then other people try them as well. So just a, just a blog post to make people sure people are not unticking that allow common patterns in their pins and making sure they're six digits and keeping an eye on on their um, exchange CDRs to make sure they're not being abused. Well, that's a good point because too, because it, it's a great article because I mean, you know, in, 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 in places where like telephony is essentially free or you don't think about the cost, these kind of things aren't a big deal. But in some areas, um, it is a big deal, right? Telephony is still expensive or there's legal issues where, you know, you know, calls originating from a certain place and get the company in trouble, right? So these are things you want to probably want to, you know, make sure are, are somewhat locked down because you never know what, what doesn't seem like a big problem in your, you know, local area may, may be a huge problem for your company if you're a multinational. So. Yeah, totally. Like, um, and it's quite an elegant uh, hack in the respect of learning the feature, spoofing the number you dial in on first and then dialing in and having it dial back. It's uh, quite intricate to get around it. But um, obviously, again, if your pins are safe, you, you're not exposed. It's not a problem. Just make sure your pins are not common patterns and uh, kept six digits or higher is a, is a good minimum bar. Good stuff. Yeah, interesting. Um, now for uh, Skype for Business Server and uh, online PSTN conferencing, uh, what is this about ID configuration there, uh, Tom, conference IDs? Yeah, so again, li living on Cloud PBX, my conferences now are in the cloud. So whenever I do a Skype meeting, it lands on a, a cloud MCU rather than server. Um, so I've been digging into the differences between server and cloud um, and, and this is a classic case of where Skype Business Online and Skype Business Server are slightly different. So on Skype for Business Server you have the option to set up 
private or dedicated meeting spaces. So um, if I have a particularly sensitive meeting back to back with another meeting, let's say, for example, you know, it's a customer in a bid process and they have three different companies ringing in one o'clock, two o'clock, three o'clock for their bid process. The default in Skype for Business is you have one standard meeting space. People often call it a public meeting space. So if you send that out to all three vendors in this bid process, if the meeting overruns or underruns or one joins early or one joins late, everybody will be on the bridge at the same time, which isn't great. Um, so you'd set up private, unique meeting spaces for each of those meetings. Therefore, people can't overlap. And each of those meetings will have a unique URL and the unique conference ID. Um, on Skype for Business Online, uh, you don't have that option of private meeting spaces. So you have one meeting space and one dial-in pin. Um, what's interesting if you dig in is actually on Skype for Business Online, each meeting URL is unique, but the PSDN pin is the same each time. Um, and I haven't had the opportunity to test it extensively yet, but it seems like each link links you to a unique meeting space, but somehow your PSDN pin puts you through to the right meeting space for the time of the meeting. So hmm. just interesting. interesting differences where, you, you know, you might assume that's exactly the same between online and server, but actually when you dig in, um, there's differences that might be important to your business. That's good stuff. Thanks for doing that because that, uh, that's uh, interesting. Yeah, cause, I mean, it's all these different you know things that are different between on-prem and online. And if you're a nerd, it's just, it's also fascinating to see how you know how they're doing stuff. Like the same thing with the broadcast meetings and the, you know the new large meetings. Like um, you know because URL, there's actually still if you look at the you know the URL, there's still a meet URL in there kind of, but it's kind of hidden now. And there's another over overall that kind of matches it. I find find that fascinating too. Like how they connect the two together. You know. Um, but this is good stuff because yeah, it's 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 getting all these differences between what you're used to and what is there now, and you know things that hopefully will change down the road. But but uh, good stuff. Yeah, it's always, it's always interesting when now cloud PBX is around. There's a whole lot of technical stuff for us to dig into again. That's you know everything old is new again. It's uh, it's interesting. Brave new world stuff. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, I've uh, I think everybody probably has had an instance where people have jumped into a a meeting uh, early and uh, gotten into a, a meeting that they <laughs> should have been. Yeah. It's John, who? <laughs> uh, yeah, and then they, you know, they just start talking away and uh, interrupting your meeting. Um, cool. Well, one more thing for you, Tom. Uh, HDX Real-Time Optimization Pack 2.0 uh, for Skype for Business on uh, Citrix Zen App and Zen Desktop. Uh, I have not played with uh, VDI stuff at all in Skype for Business. Yeah. So, yeah, so uh, what's going on with this? Yeah, this is pretty big news, actually. Well, uh, big news in certain verticals. So I'm surprised it hasn't had more press yet. Um, it's big in, certainly in Europe, in finance, VDI is fairly big and in legal. Um, and it's interesting, it's a joint effort between Microsoft and Citrix to produce a better VDI experience for UC. Uh, so VDI is classically a problem for UC because you're virtualizing the desktop and sticking it somewhere in a data center and then streaming it down to the thin clients, um, which is, works well for pictures and works less well for real-time audio and video. So, so the theoretical kind of 
ideal of this is that you have your desktop streamed down to the thin client, but you keep your audio and video local to the thin client. Um, and in in this world, up until now, there were two major options for that. So Microsoft have a first-party VDI client, um, which they would install a media stack on the thin terminal, um, which worked really well, but was only suitable for Windows thin terminals because essentially it was a cut-down Skype client running on the Windows terminal. Um, and Citrix had an approach where kind of the classic plug-in approach, you right-click on somebody and actually you run a little Citrix app that they've injected into the menu and then you jump into Citrix. And, um, you know, us classic Skype for Business guys are not fans of that kind of plug-in because it's sort of jarring in terms of experience, but they did support that technology across multiple thin clients, not just Windows. Um, so it looks like, for the for the greater good of everybody, Microsoft and Citrix have come together, and they've taken kind of the best of both worlds. So this new HDX real-time optimization pack 2.0, catchy catchy name, um, essentially all the SIP and signaling and UI run through the Skype for Business client, so it looks like a real legit Skype for Business experience for the user. But the media is offloaded to a, a Citrix media stack that can run on uh, various thin terminals, Mac, Windows, um, Linux, etc. And all the media interacts seamlessly with Skype for Business as well. So it's the first time you can have a, a VDI experience that is both native in terms of UI and works well in terms of media stack because it's using that Citrix media stack. Um, and it plugs a bunch of gaps that both VDI solutions had. So it supports response groups and team call. It supports voicemail integration. Um, it does Office 365 support as well, which is a, a huge one for a lot of people. So yeah, exciting times if you're in a place where you use Citrix VDI. This is probably going to become the, the go-to solution for, for Skype for Business for you guys. That's cool. I mean, again, I, I, yeah, I, I'm in the same boat. I think I see VDIs deployed in any kind of real sense in, I don't know, it's probably been five years. You just, I, I just haven't seen it a lot of it. So, uh, But I know people use it, so this is good stuff. And Tom, um, in your experience, are you seeing a lot of VDI, uh, are customer, customers using VDI? Yeah, it's, it's super, in Europe, it's super vertical specific. So, Finance love it because, um, you know, they can have important people running on thin terminals and if the terminal explodes, they can take one out of the cupboard behind them and plug it back in and they're away again. Um, and all their data retention stuff stays in the data center. Um, and legal seem to love it as well. They, they have a lot of use for it. Outside those two verticals, I don't see it a lot. And it's fair to say it's not ideal for UC, even with this type of plug-in you know, fat clients are superior. Things like video, you get gallery view on the fat client, whereas on the the VDI plugin, you only get active speaker. So there are still compromises. But for those verticals that like it, this is going to be a big step to improving their experience. Well, and it's funny because when I mean, you think about like you know, sometimes these dumb terminals. I understand the management cost is like really, it's not so much of a device cost, but it's the management cost, right? But like these PCs and these, you know, these devices, like you know, like Intel's new second-gen streaming stick, you know, basically a PC on a stick. I mean, these devices are getting so cheap and so in their full-fledged Windows client. I've actually bought them um, just a total aside, but and I bought it for this reason. There's a uh, there was a Indiegogo campaign in this company called Akel, and they're making these like little 
um, all-in-one like small form factor PCs, but they're like literally the size of like like a deck of cards. Yeah, that's what I like. And, and and they're you know quad core. I, I got the one that's got the, the, the and, and there's the new one coming um, in a few months. It's going to be like way better. But this thing's you know got like a you know 32 bit processor. It's got two gig of RAM, 32 gigs uh, of flash storage. It's like 150 bucks the thing. But and and the point was I wanted to see if I could hook it in. And, and actually run Link, and sure enough, I hooked the, 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 the BCC 950 conference cam to, you know, hit up USB into this device, hooked to a monitor, you know, wireless keyboard and mouse, and it does conferences like like a champ on Link. So, I mean, you know, and this thing's like 150 bucks, you put it, you literally put it in your pocket and walk away. You know, it's just, just kind of crazy. Look yeah. for a detailed uh, blog post from John coming soon. <laughs> yeah, John, well, the right. new one's coming out, and with like I said, with, with like a quad core processor and four gig of RAM, and it's like an only another fifty bucks. That, that one, I think I'm, I already have that one on order, of course. But <laughs> yeah. uh, at the risk of all the VDI guys coming after me and, and do on Twitter at Tom Abuthnot, um, VDI is not a money saving thing. Like you know, it was pitched like that early on. It's about yeah. keeping your data in the data center, and it's about quick swap out. You know, those, those thin terminals are and not the good ones are not cheap and you know right. comparatively you can get laptops and docking stations for the same price um it's more about manageability and single right. desktop image and all that good stuff yeah the the ability to have the the managed desktop and and uh applying patches to a common image and and swapping out the, i think the swap out of the hardware i think is a uh, the big benefit there you know, that thing turns into a, you know, smoking box. You swap it out, and you're back up and running in five minutes. So. Yeah, and Tom touched on this, too. I think I think uh, organizations that have, you know, sort of like offshoring or whatever, and they have lockdown environments, I've seen it pretty common that they only have access to Because this way, obviously, they can't really take, you know, take things off, off offline and, you know, company secrets or whatever, or user data or whatever. So, uh, you know, the thin clients kind of, you know, allow for that kind of lockdown environment much better than a, a PC with, you know, USB ports and everything. Right, right. All right. Well, good info. Thanks for that, Tom. Uh, switching to exchange topics. Woohoo! Um, <laughs> um, we're and definitely we have more Skype for Business topics this time than Exchange. But um, an interesting article came out about um, users not receiving voicemails in their mailbox uh, in a scenario where Skype for Business and Call Manager are involved with uh, Exchange. Um, and uh, Habib over at uh, Wavecore IT Inc. Uh, wrote this up. And uh, John, what did you think of this? Yeah, it's good. Uh, Habib Mankel, I, 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 he's an MVP. Actually, I didn't really realize until I was reading this. You know, and it was call manager was the, the the sort of the you know the core of the issue in terms of what the inbound PDX was. But um, it could happen any anything. And basically, the gist of the article was because you, when you see UM problems, typically you know it's either certificate based or you know service was just just down or something, or the or the dial plan was set to the wrong secure mode. I mean, those are the common things you see between you know voicemail with Exchange and and Skype for Business link. Um, but this was like like just a kind of old school case. Somebody went in and messed with the receive connectors and like and you know and we're we're, we're mucking about and trying to make an anonymous connector and, and, and inadvertently like turn off the ability for one trusted you know uh, exchange server to, to talk to another. So basically, you know the the, the receive connectors are going like I don't, I don't know who you are and I'm not talking to you. So disconnect, right? So it's an interesting article. Like and it's I saw one. I just kind of I thought it was interesting because it's one of those things you take for granted. Like you don't think about. You know, someone jacking your receive connectors, and so therefore, you know, uh, uh, other peer servers can't, you know, deliver something like like voicemail. You know, and in this case, the point, like, you know, voicemail was just not getting the notification, was not getting um, in into the user's uh, inbox. You know, so they might have seen the, the the new voicemail, you know, in link, but it was just not getting as a as a transport type, you know, level thing to to the mailbox. So it's really interesting uh, to me because, again, if you come from the exchange world, you know. 
you, you know, you, you, connectors are usually, you set them uh, five years ago and you probably never touch them again, right? <laughs> but oops. <laughs> In this case, somebody went and busted something. So, um, really good article. Yeah, I found it uh, found it real interesting. Lots of uh, lots of info on that one. Um, so if you're willing to virtualize Exchange, um, you decide what platform you're going to virtualize on, either VMware or Hyper-V. And of course, uh, t- people tend to be you know staunchly for Hyper-V or staunchly for VMware. There's <laughs> it's really anywhere somebody in the middle, e- either or. So it's kind of like a you know Ford or Chevy thing. Um, so if you're looking at uh, virtualizing on VMware, um, there is now a new uh, best practices guide out from VMware on virtualizing Exchange Server on, on vSphere. So, um, John, uh, have you done a lot of work with uh, vSphere and virtualizing Exchange? Yeah, I mean, uh, and it goes to the same with Skype for Business. Uh, <laughs> I mean, typically, the the, the it, my my experience, uh, it, it, the VMware guys are the the the, the, the knights who say no, because <laughs> when you ask for more resources, they always say no. <laughs> but you know, so some guidance is it, it's very handy because it, the the problem I've always run on this really affects Skype Business, but this will happen with Exchange as well. Is that you know the, the you know overcommittal with with CPU uh, resources in VMware land is more of a common occurrence. And then, you know, and when you have Microsoft saying that absolutely not to do that, then you have, you know, you have a, certainly a pathway for conflict. Let's, let's put it that way <laughs> between what your needs are as the, the exchange or Skype, you know, admin and, uh, and what the needs of, are of the virtualization team. Right. Um, but yeah, I mean, this is, this is really good guidance because, uh, uh, you know, as we know, maybe Physicality is going the same way as uh, on-prem, right? <laughs> less and less of it. Um, we're going to see. You know, I think you're seeing more and more virtualization than less. Um, and uh, you know, getting solid guidance to to you know really help, especially from the vendor of the actual hypervisor, right? Because one of the battles we, we fight uh, in Microsoft, like you know, it's one thing when you know when Microsoft says for their products that the virtualization you know, does this on their virtualization uh, 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 platform. Is one thing, but then you know when you're coming, kind of, you know, there are some times when you have a vendor conflict where like, oh, okay, well, Microsoft guys say this or whatever, you know, and um, this is nice to have coming from, you know, if you're a, if you're if you're a VMware, you know, uh, uh, architect, administrator, whatever, getting guidance from your, you know, vendor um, is very helpful because you know it also stops a lot of the fights, you know. So yeah, yeah, I agree. I've I've had quite a few battles on, you know, Microsoft guidance versus the hypervisor vendor guidance. And uh, the hypervisor guys always scream and yell. You don't. You don't need that much resources, or you know, we we don't want to do it that way. So yeah, nice to see that they're they're out with that. Um, so uh, that pretty much does it for exchange topics and Skype for Business topics for this episode. We wanted to mention a few events coming up. Uh, the UC Birmingham User Group in the UK has a meeting on February 10th. So be sure to uh, check out their website uh, for inf- information on what's going on uh, at that event. Uh, the UC User Group London has a meeting on March 3rd at the Polycom EEC Center in uh, London. They're going to talk about cloud PBX in the real world and Skype uh, meeting broadcast, as we were talking about that a little while ago. Uh, UC Expo is in London uh, the 19th and 20th of April with uh, with Tom. You're speaking at that, right? Going to have lots of good info for us? Yeah, that, that's quite a big show um, in London. Uh, 
kind of one of the bigger European UC shows. Uh, and I'll be speaking there around uh, the right deployment model for Cloud PBX. So there's a lot of interest in how you slice and dice Cloud PBX, and that's what I'll be talking about. Man, I want to go. And now, is that come the right... Come over, mate. <laughs> I was just there. I want to go back. <laughs> is that the right model, like uh, supermodels, or... Uh... <laughs> yeah, so, uh, what would get more people to my talk? I'm not sure. You know, maybe. maybe come and see. You know, you got like Vanna White standing on the side. Uh, you know, like uh, Wheel of Fortune. Yeah, um, that's how all my talks go. I, I gotta say, I, I, we were in Birmingham for a little bit. All the girls in Birmingham were gorgeous. I got what's going on up there. <laughs> Just in his aside. <laughs> yeah. Um, also, uh, UC Communications Day 2016. Uh, is uh, on October 24th, and that's in uh, Birmingham in the UK at the National Conference Center. So uh, definitely check that out for some uh, Scrape for Business and Exchange uh, content. And uh, the Link Users Group, which uh, just rebranded itself as the Skype uh, Users Group, uh, has its quarterly meetings uh, around this time. So I think they're in like 18 or 20 different locations throughout the country. So check out their website. Uh, I know I attend the one uh, here in Detroit. Yep, uh, always, yep, always great content. It's the same con- uh, same content is um, is given at all of the locations throughout the country. So no matter which one you go to, you'll see the same. Yeah, and like I mentioned earlier, there's a good deck on um, Cloud PBX. So definitely, you know, check that out and download it. Really yeah, and you usually have like um, like Jeff Shirts and all those guys uh, at your meetings too, right? Yeah, Jeff and Anthony Caragall, uh, both. Yeah. Companies. How many people do you get there roughly? Fifty, give or take. I mean, pretty pretty solidly. I mean, okay. you know, it, I think he wants it more, <laughs> um, but uh, you know, it's downtown Chicago, so if you're down there, great. But a lot of people just can't get down there, so. Yeah, ours ours gets about uh, fifteen to twenty or so. We are at the actually at the MTC, the Microsoft uh, Technology Center. Um, in Southfield, Michigan. So it's uh, it's great to go down there and see how their little data center is there, and um, and meet some people from uh, Microsoft and and get some great content. So um, if you stop by, uh, feel free to to reach out and say hi. And that pretty much does it uh, for this particular episode, 56. Uh, I'd like to thank uh, John Cook, Tom Arbuthnot. Thanks, guys, for uh, finally getting back together with me and uh, doing one of these episodes. I know uh, I, I I miss it. <laughs> we need to do it more. Yeah, everybody uh, kind of had life get in the way for a little while there. So we had the holidays, and uh, of course, John, you and I had uh, lots of stuff at uh, Event Zero and um, and everything. So uh, we promise they'll be uh, uh, more often now than they have been in the last few months. So, and um, thanks to Andrew, who's going to do a wicked job of editing this particular episode. Uh, thanks again. Uh, finally, before we go, we want to remind you that the UC Architects are online. Visit our website today at uh, www.theucarchitects.com. Follow us on Twitter at The UC Architects. Be a friend and like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash theucarchitects. I'm sensing a, uh, a theme here. Uh, and on LinkedIn. Or uh, join our group on LinkedIn. Uh, if you haven't subscribed to the podcast already, you can find us in the iTunes store. Search for us in the new WinPhone 8.1 podcast app or subscribe to the podcast using your favorite RSS feed, uh, uh, such as Outlook even. Uh, See our website for links uh, to everything on the show today. We'll see you back in the next episode with Steve Hosting. Steve Hosting.